All right. In preparation for the sermon this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 15 through 23. Uh, You can follow along on the screen, on your phone, handheld device, or if you want to have the text in front of you and didn't bring your Bible, the pew Bible in front of you, uh, or the Bible in the pew in front of you, actually is... You got it. Good job. All right. The <laughs> is the translation we're using during the series, the ESV translation. So it'll be helpful to, to follow along. All right. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. For this reason, Apostle Paul is writing, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the glory or the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, as we spend but a few moments in your word today, through your Holy Spirit, may you open our eyes that we might see and our ears that we might hear and understand your word today so that we can rightly apply it to our lives, to the glory of your name. Amen. All right, so we're in the book of Ephesians. We will be in it for some time. Um, want to just kind of bring us to a place of understanding that we're, we're now in the second half of chapter 1. If we were to consider some of the purposes that we would say the book of Ephesians might be about, one we could suggest is identity. Who are we in Christ as a Christian and as the body of Christ? Who are we? Well, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus to give a clear understanding of who we are and how important our identity is to the life that we live as a Christian. Because who we are informs what we do. And This is one of the highlights or the purposes for Paul's writing. Although this letter was not written to us, it was actually written for us. We still can understand that because we see it as something that was written for us, it still is relevant to us today. The difference is it was written to the church in Ephesus, likely a circular letter that informed Christian churches throughout Asia Minor who they were in Christ and how Jesus wanted them to live in light of that reality. But today we can say it's relevant to our lives simply because the truth of it 
has been given to us by the Holy Spirit and informs our lives as Christians. I want to remind you that last week we we entered into this understanding of how important doctrine is to the Christian life and how if we don't have a solid and firm foundation, the way we live our life will not be in alignment with uh, the way God intended us to live our life as Christians. And so doctrine matters immensely. Understanding who God is, what he's done, and what he's up to. And so we learned that we should praise God for many things last week. And I'm just going to give you a litany of things that, that, that essentially Paul gave us in what we called the doxology or the, 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 the statement of praise. He says that as Christians, we're, we're chosen and that we're adopted, that in Christ, we are redeemed and forgiven and then united with Christ and with the Jew and Gentile and the, the, the broad family of God that through the Spirit we're sealed and we're guaranteed an inheritance of our future. And, and Paul says, because of this reality, it is worthy of us to praise God. Amen? Amen. Well, now Paul, after completing this 200-word sentence that is very complicated to not only parse out but understand. He, he turns the corner and he provides for us another really long sentence that will end out the chapter, chapter 1 of Ephesians. And within this sentence, he, he moves from a posture of, of praise or a disposition of praise to that of thanksgiving and prayer. So think about this. Within the first chapter of Ephesians, we have three things that we can identify that are of real value and importance to the Christian life. Praising God, thanking God, and spending time in prayer with God. How are you doing? If you were to ask me how I'm doing, what my simple answer to you is this, I could be doing much better in all three categories. So if that's how you answered the question, you're not alone. I know I could take time to praise God more. I know I could take time to to thank God more. And I know I could certainly take more time to pray more. I find prayer to be very difficult, to be honest with you. It's a hard thing for me to do. But here Paul shifts from praising God to, to, to this great prayer and thanksgiving. And we read here in the first verses, for this reason, because of the reasons I gave you to praise God, and because uh, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul's thanksgiving of the church in Ephesus was the result of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't referring to the faith that saved them, it's referring to the faith that they're living out every single day, their firm commitment to following Jesus, their faith that demonstrates that I trust Jesus for who he is and what he's done and what he's given me, and and I'm demonstrating the reality of my faith in Jesus by obeying the word of God and living for him. And as a result of this, 
Paul is saying, I am so thankful to God because I'm hearing about your faith that is authentic and real. He goes on to say, I also thank God for your love that is for all the saints. Well, it wasn't just love they had for one another in their little church. It was the love they had for all the believers and all the churches that were throughout the area. They likely prayed for them and supported them financially and provided hospitality to them, much like we do in the support of Break Free Ministries and the 13 other global or international ministries that we support. We recognize the need and the value as a local church to allow the gospel to go far and wide and to support and encourage and to be a part of other people's lives who are on journey just like us who make up the universal or the broader body of Christ. And so church, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement that that, that you are to me and for the way you give generously to support the ongoing work and the ministry of the gospel, not only just in Alexandria, but all around the world. Paul is simply moving from that of thanksgiving to now making an appeal to God that, that, that the church in Ephesus and that we today would recognize the value we are to God the depth of his riches that he has given to us in Christ so that we can be all that he wants us to be. One of the questions that maybe we can sit with today is what practical difference would it make if we understood our hope, our inheritance, and our power in Christ better? I mean, how often do you really take time to sit with the Lord and ponder the deep theological truths and realities of who he is and what he has done for you and allow that to end in praise and thanksgiving and prayer. I recently read a story of a man named William Randolph Hearst. He actually invested a fortune collecting art treasures from around the world and it was just simply his hobby. One day, Mr. Hurst found a description of some valuable items that he felt that he must own. And so he sent his agent abroad to go searching for these treasures. After months of searching, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasures. You can imagine how excited Mr. Hurst was, right? The agent found the treasures in Mr. Hurst's warehouse. See, Hearst had been frantically searching for a treasure that he had already owned. How often do you find yourself in that place with God? You're more willing to pick up a self-help book and try to discover how you can be the best you than you are to pick up the very word of God to learn about what he's already given you so that you can be the best you. How often do we neglect to take time to discover the truth of what's in our inheritance, our bag of resources, our warehouse of spiritual blessings? And we waste time looking around, trying to discover things that we already have access to and we didn't even know it. 
Had Mr. Hurst read the catalog of his treasures, he would have saved himself a great deal of money and trouble. And I think if we're willing to consider all that God has before us in terms of the treasure trove of blessing and inheritance that he's given to us, we too could save ourselves a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of trouble by looking in all the wrong places for all the things that God's already given to us. The big idea really today is that Paul is telling us that there's nothing greater in this world than to know God and all the benefits and the power that come with being in Christ. So our first point this morning, we find Paul emphasizing that we might know God better. In verse 17, actually I'm going to back up to 16. After giving thanks, it says in the latter part of that verse, remembering you in my prayers, and now he's going to give uh, several things that, that he's praying about. And in verse 17, he says, I'm remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and revelation certainly comes from the Holy Spirit, that's true. But I think what Paul is talking about here is our disposition or our attitude that we would have the desire to, to seek the, the, the wisdom of God and the revelation of God, and that through the Spirit of God, we could come to an understanding so that we could know God better. And in case you're wondering what your purpose on life is, there is no other purpose for all of humanity than to know this, your purpose is to know God, to be known by God, and then to make God known to others. As Paul writes of this wisdom, what he's really referring to is the ability to take profound theological th truth about God and, the, and then figure out and learn how do we apply them to everyday life so that we can be equipped to handle life in terms of the revelation, well, this is the ability to grasp the meaning of God's truths so that we can comprehend his perspective on life and life circumstances. See, we all live with a worldview, but the question is, what informs our worldview? What is it built upon? Is your worldview built upon the truth of God's word, or is it built upon the culture and the society upon which we live? Do you seek Google to discover the, the, the true information that should form your worldview? Or do you pick up the word of God and spend time with him to see what God has to say about the foundation of the Christian life and what it should be informed by and then lived out according to? See, divine wisdom and revelation will help us to see life from God's perspective, and then it will give us the confidence in any situation and circumstance to, to know and to trust that we can live according to God's will. We all agree that it's easy to do life when life is good and well and easy, right? But what about when life happens? 
What about when your marriage goes south? What about when your parent dies? What about when you discover you have cancer? What about when you lose a baby in the womb to miscarriage? What about when you lose a job? I mean, in these situations and circumstances, it's easy to say, God, if you're real, then why would you allow this to happen? And yet what I think God often wants to say is, no, 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 no. I did allow it to happen, but but I've given you everything you need to get through this. And I'm with you. And I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. And and I'm going to be there with you, and I'm going to be your hope, and I'm going to be your confidence, but I need you to trust me. Like Paul was praying for this church, I think we could use Paul's prayer to not only pray for our own church, but to pray for our children, and to pray for our family, and to pray uh, for our community, and to to, to pray for, for people in the faith. I want you to listen to to the scope and sequence of his prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. You see, it's one thing to know about God, but it's a whole nother thing to know God. You know, I can know about the governor. I can even shake his hand and have a conversation with him. And I can go home being certain that we are not best friends or buddies or we don't even know each other. And frankly, I would be certain he would not not only not know me, but he wouldn't remember me. See, but then there's God. So many of us have the headspace and the knowledge about God. But in order for us to know God intimately and personally, what we know up here needs to penetrate here so that we can be changed by Him. The way that Paul uses the language in here about knowing God or having knowledge of God is the type of knowing or a type of intimacy that that God said is for me and my wife to have together and none of you to experience because that's been set apart for us. If you hear what I'm saying, you don't get to know my wife like I do. And I don't get to know yours either. But the depth of the intimacy and the knowledge of God that he's inviting us into is this kind of depth, this kind of intimacy, this kind of relationship where where what we know in our head that hits our heart transforms us and brings us alive in Christ because there's a Holy Spirit of the living God who is convicting us and wooing us and and, and, and calling us and we respond to the gospel and we're regenerate, we're born again and we're made alive in Christ and all of a sudden now we're a new person. 
Yay, men. And this is the intimacy that, that, that Paul desires that we have. He goes on in his prayer that we would, verse 18a, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know three things. Before we get to these three things, let me just pause for a minute about the reality of the eyes of our heart. Did you know your heart has eyes? Within the scripture, the, the, the heart is the center of our being. We learn that about humanity. That, that it's, it's connecting our, our, our thoughts in, 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 our, in our heart and our being and, and, and that God says that we have eyes within our heart that give us the ability to see and grasp and understand the depths of who he is and what he has for us. When we talk about having the eyes of the heart open, what Paul is actually asking for is that through the spirit of the living God, he would illuminate within our lives the truth of who he is. Inspiration has been given through the Holy Spirit to the writers of scripture to write what God intended to reveal to us, but illumination is the very thing that God does through the Holy Spirit that helps us to recognize the truths of God and how they apply directly to our lives. To illuminate us is to bring us into understanding, and, and this is truly the work of the Holy Spirit, and we can't understand God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. We must put on our Holy Spirit glasses when we read the scriptures because if we don't, then the eyes upon which we see God are not the eyes upon which we can know God. I want you to think about enlightenment uh, or, or illumination as, as those moments that we have when the light bulb turns on. Oh, I get it. Okay, if you don't get it, how about this? You know this, you have kids. You tell them a hundred times something, do this or don't do that, or let me coach you through this, and they don't get it. And you're like, ah. And then someone says that one time to them, the light bulb goes on and they come home with all this great wisdom. Oh, dad, you should hear what I learned today. I've been preaching my whole life that you would know that, son. I don't know why you left me in the dark. I mean, this is really valuable. If I would have known this, I mean, my life would be truly different. <laughs> Amen. Too bad I didn't get to turn the light on, but I'm glad it got on. This is illumination. This is what God does through the Spirit when he helps us to see the truth of who he is and what he has for us. He brings us into a place of enlightenment. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. This is great. Apart from the Spirit, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, it is easier to teach a tiger vegetarianism than an unregenerate person the gospel. You hear that? You see, your job and my job is to be a messenger of the gospel. And then we let God through the Spirit illuminate, turn on the lights. The results belong to him. They don't belong to us. We're simply messengers. Having our spiritual eyes opened allows us to see God and the things of God that he wants us to see. 
And when we do this and when we see this, it gives us a hope. And this is what the Apostle Paul is asking for, that we might know the hope of God's calling in our life. Hope is a confident assurance of what is to come. The kind of hope the Apostle Paul is talking about here when it comes to our calling is is a hope that sees our salvation from a past, present, and future reality. That it's a right now, not yet, already has been thing. What we learn in the first part of this letter is that we've been chosen by God and adopted, and, and, and that's from eternity past, and so we had nothing to do with that. But at the end of the day, the reality is when we're brought into the family of God, that's something God predetermined could happen when we respond rightly to the gospel. But then there's the present reality of while we're in Christ and we're in the family of God, we have access to all these spiritual blessings and God is at work, this is a big theological word, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus all the time when we live in obedience to his word and submit to his spirit. But then there's the future reality of this hope is that one day I will be in heaven with Jesus forever and a day and eternity and all that. But, but not only that, I'm going to be like him. And what that means is that I'm going to be without my sin nature and I'm going to be glorified and then I'm going to be able to glorify God and all of the junk that I have to struggle with in this life will be forever gone and I'll never have that struggle again. Man, isn't that good news? Don't you look forward to that? Doesn't it give you hope? It gives me hope. The second thing of the three that Paul is actually praying for in here is that we might know the riches of God's inheritance. That our hearts would be enlightened, that our eyes would open within our heart, that we would know the riches of God's inheritance. Now, there's two ways to understand this verse. One way, and and in the Greek, it's not easy to break apart and theologians and scholars uh, wrestle together with this and Rather than bore you with all the technicalities, I'm going to give you the two big ideas. Number one, we can understand this to be the glorious inheritance that God gives to his people. But the second way we could understand this is that we are God's glorious inheritance in the future and the present. I mean, if we stop and ponder that for a moment, the implications of that interpretation of this is a really big deal. Let me tell you what I mean by that. And I actually think the latter is more true than the former. And I think what Paul is really saying here when it comes to our inheritance, that we understand the glorious riches of God's inheritance in the saints is that we, the church, are what Christ is looking forward to as his inheritance someday in glory, someday in heaven. Whoa! I mean, when I think of everything I get from God, it's usually about what I'm getting from God. I don't normally think of the fact that I am something that Jesus values so much that he can't wait to inherit me in heaven someday. That's mind-blowing. But out of love for you and for me, I believe that's what this is saying. He can't wait to receive his inheritance. The other thing this implies 
is that he has chosen to be incomplete until we're with him. What? I thought he's complete in every way. He sure is. But he's still waiting for the very thing that will complete him, that he's the head of, and that he will be over all in all, and that's us, the church. If nothing else, this should make us see and know the worth and value that we are to God and make us go, wow, 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 wow. Thank you. (laughs) And if it doesn't mean that, then all the inheritance that we have coming to us, we have. And it will be fulfilled and complete in glory. So let's live with the hope. And the fourth or the third thing within this prayer of enlightenment is that we might know God's power. Verse 19 that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. He goes on to describe all the things the father did to the son through the resurrection. And as a result of the resurrection and who Christ is and what he has done for us, Paul is saying, I need you to recognize the power that you have in your life today as a Christian to be able to survive this very chaotic world that we live that is hostile to the Christian message and to the gospel. That within you, you have the very power you need to not only fulfill God's obligation to your life as a Christian, but you have everything you need to share with others from a posture of courage and faith and hope and love so that others may come to the knowledge of Jesus too. The Christian life cannot be lived outside of the power of God in us. We have to accept that truth, that reality. In the Old Testament, people often talked about God's power in two different ways. Number one, through creation, that he actually made everything out of nothing. That's pretty big power, wouldn't you agree? But the second way that it was often talked about in the New Testament is the power he displayed in leading the Israelites out of Egypt as they were enslaved, but then he set them free. Now, if we consider the reality of this kind of power and how we on this side of the resurrection should talk about it, we have something even greater we can talk about in terms of God's power that actually lives in us, and that's the power of the resurrection. See, it takes a lot of power to make something out of nothing and bring life, but it takes more power to take something that is dead and make it alive. And not only did God raise Jesus from the dead, but God took those of us who were dead because of our sin and made us alive in Christ. Isn't that good? That's so good. It's so good. That's what he does. That's the power we have in us. So I want you to think about who you're connected to. 
What is your power source? Are you connected to God through the Son and by the Holy Spirit? You know those power strips? We don't have any up here, but there's power strips. You plug them in. There's a little light you can plug in, little things. I mean, if the power light is off or it's unplugged, what can that strip do? Nothing. But when it's plugged in and it's all functioning right, it has the ability to power and, and, and to bring what it needs to that which needs the power. If we disconnect ourselves from God, we don't have the power to be and to do who God wants us to be and what God wants us to do. We must live our life through the power of God, not through self-preservation. Are you plugged in to the power source? Because when we are, we can accomplish far more being in Christ than we could ever do on our own. I want to remind you of this truth as we kind of bring this to a close today. The power that God gives us to live the Christian life. Now, if you're like me, I'm thinking all about me right now. What is it? What can I accomplish for me in it? I had to come face to face with this reality when God says, no, 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 time out. The power given to you by Christ in you has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God's glory, number one, and our neighbor's good, number two. We are to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And we can't accomplish either one of these realities outside of the power and the presence of the Spirit in us. In Christ, we are connected to the only power source that can help us know God better. Strengthen us to live the life that God has for us to live. And give us the ability to make him known to others in such a way that they can know him too. On our own, we cannot accomplish this. But in Christ, we can. I don't want anybody leaving here today thinking about what you have on your own. I want everybody leaving here today thinking about what we have by being in Christ. Everything we could never get on our own. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word, the gift of your son, the gift of your spirit, the power that is in us to accomplish all that you have for us. I pray that, God, we would not use the power in our life that comes through the presence of the spirit for ourselves, but that, God, we would use it for your glory and our neighbor's good as we live to honor your name, Christ's name. Amen.